0: Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict.
1: My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict.
0: My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 11. We're gonna get deep tonight. We're going to be talking about dealing with anxiety, depression, and fear, and how our triggers play a part in that. So this is a big topic for me specifically because I have let my life be run by these these topics here. Um, I am diagnosed with uh, clinical depression and general anxiety disorder. And I think all of that has been rooted in my own fears. And as I've worked my program, I've been noticing how my fears play a part in a lot of it, Um, either in my fear of relapse or my fear as it relates to resentment or my fear in some of my triggers. Um, You know, when I first started getting into recovery, I was so afraid of not doing this right, that I wanted to get this program perfect. And as I've been thinking about this topic, I have really come to the conclusion that there is no such thing as perfect. And that kind of scares me. So it's this hamster wheel of emotions for me. And dealing with all of the emotions that I have been just really has been adding to my anxiety and depression and guys you know what are some of your thoughts on this you know do you deal with anxiety and depression and fear um and how does that relate to your recovery program
1: yeah i mean i personally don't deal too much with depression um i think anxiety i i don't have an anxiety disorder i think i try to utilize anxiety in the proper way. Um, I think that, you know, fear is, I think I read the other day, fear is the human condition and all actions evolve from fear. So I, I definitely could say that fear uh, definitely used to run my life a lot more. I still have fears and a lot of those fears do cause anxiety. Um, and I, th- I think the anxiety, I'll go back to anxiety, Um, and I say this as not a doctor and I say, this is not giving advice, but I'll talk in, you know, in, in a place of I, I personally think that, especially in recovery, anxiety is a little over medicated, over diagnosed. Now there's definitely people with anxiety disorders and I've seen it and I'm not saying anyone doesn't have something, but anxiety could also be a useful tool. And I'm working with my therapist currently to recognize why anxiety arises in my life and utilize that in a positive, um, in a positive way. So an example would be, uh, I don't know, not going down that dark alley, you know, you're a little anxious, you recognize that that gets you out of a uh, bad situation. That's a, that's a a way to positively use anxiety now projecting out 10 years from now that i'm going to be financially broke and like you said having that hamster wheel spin around that's not a uh negative uh, that is a negative way to utilize that anxiety so that's kind of where i'm at right now with anxiety
0: that's a really interesting point about using anxiety as a positive um and, and to your point around not walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night, that anxiety, that fear, theoretically keeps you out of trouble because you don't know what's down there. So I guess this leads me to a topic around triggers, right? Because as an alcoholic, do I let my anxiety and fear keep me out of things like bars Probably. But does it keep me out of things like going to the golf course, going to weddings, going to parties where I know alcohol is going to be there? And that would keep me away from my life. So I think there's a fine balance between being afraid or having that anxiety around a situation and walking through our triggers. Ben, what do you think?
2: Yeah, the. uh, Those are definitely a couple of things that I've dealt with in early sobriety that have that I've come, that I've come across and that I've been afraid because I'm, I definitely used alcohol in all of those situations. I mean, I used alcohol in every situation, but my brother got married in February. Um, that was the very first like big uh, function where alcohol was going to be present. And, you know, I shared about it and in the weeks leading up to it and talk to my sponsor about it and for me it's just about you know utilizing a system that works so that I have tools that I can deal with it you know and he was and I you know on the on the way up it was a Saturday morning I shared about it in the meeting got a lot of positive reinforcement from from guys in the meeting Uh, got a lot of guys put their numbers you know through their numbers out there so that you know, I had somebody to talk to and, you know, everybody in that situation gets it. Everybody who's been through it at least once gets it that, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to, say, hey, listen, you know, like because it's not easy. Like it's like at that wedding, it was not easy looking at everybody drinking and not that I wanted to drink, but it, I, it wasn't easy realizing that I was looking at everybody drinking and and I wasn't present, you know, for for portions of it you know, golf course is another great example. It, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be a round that I didn't play where, you know, alcohol w- wasn't involved. And, you know, Chris and I played a couple weeks ago and, you know, we kind of, it was, it was great having somebody, you know, in the program there or w- working in recovery, I should say there, you know, to, to the, we, we kind of, you know, we didn't make light of it, but it was just like, you know, you, you could kind of, you know, you were in the, you, we were in the same boat, you know? And, and so it was, it was just nice having a, a companion to go through that with, but you know what else was nice? Not having to worry about the drive home, not having to worry about the end of my round sucking because I, you know, I was on beer 15. Cause I was trying to do a beer a like those were things that I never experienced. And I got to leave the golf course, not in a dangerous condition. I got to be happy. I actually got to remember all of my shots. which is something that happened. I've been playing golf all my life. I, I could, I used to be able to tell you shot for shot for shot, what I did on what hole. And when I was going shot for shot for shot with alcohol, I could not recreate my rounds afterwards. And so now to be able to do that again, it's it's it, it kind of makes me feel like a kid again and, and so yeah th- they're scary but one of the things is that that's also life like life is going to come at us and i can't shield myself from it and i don't want to shield myself from it i don't want to put myself in dangerous situations but i don't want to shield myself from it
0: yeah that's a really good point and um you know we just got through a memorial day weekend did you guys run into any triggers i know i did and It was nice to have someone with me. I I went down to the beach with a a sober fellow and for nothing else, I had someone just like you were talking about that knew the feelings that I was going through. You know, I I actually had a drug dream. You know, we, we came back, it was a rainy day, came back to the house and I took a nap and had a drug dream in my nap woke up, it actually freaked me out because it included people that we were just hanging out with for brunch. And I woke up in this, in this panic and it stuck with me for a little while. And then that night when I went to bed, I had a continuation of that drug dream. And, you know, for, for those listeners who may not have had a drug dream before, who have not heard of what a drug dream is, it's it's these dreams where you're either using or you're being asked to use or some situation where drugs or alcohol are involved that, at least for me, I wake up and I feel like I was using or I feel like I was drinking. And it, it really took me off off guard because I haven't had one in months. You know, I just got I just hit my 10 months over the weekend and I, it's been months since I've had one of these, and to be with a a group of sober guys and then have a drug dream about those sober guys that night, it was it was so surreal. It, it just kind of knocked me off my game. I think.
2: Yeah, this weekend there really weren't many triggers for me because I mean the weather was so bad that there was there was really no place to go. But if the weather was decent, there was maybe the opportunity that I would have gone down to. Parents' beach house. Uh, A lot of my family was there. And I'm glad that I wasn't there with the bad weather because I'm sure that there was plenty of casual drinking happening. And again, not that I'm uncomfortable with that, but I'm just going to, I would have just been sitting there and kind of not, I I don't know if I would have been able to be present with everybody being able to enjoy a couple of beers or some mixed drinks or whatever playing board games and all the stuff that we, we do down the beach when it's crappy weather. And, and I don't, I just don't think I'm there yet. And so it's something that I definitely have to work on I'm going to have to expose myself to it. And that's one of the things that I think I'm going to experience over the summer is that fear of being around, not being around people that drink, but, but that was such a staple for me that the summer, whether it's the pool or whether it's at the beach, you know, drinking just went hand in hand. So it's kind of like, you know, the first round of the golf course without drinking. It's kind of like the first wedding. It's going to be something where that I'm just going to have to expose myself to. And as long as I've done the done enough work to make sure that I've got a defense against it, then I then I I like my chances as long as I don't forget that I can't I can't pick up that day. Yeah,
1: I mean, Ben, what what you're describing between the wedding and, you know, your beach house is, I feel like it's not the drinking that's the issue, it's more you being left out. It's not part of. So you're 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 this isolated person, you know, and that's what I have an issue with. Yeah, exactly. FOMO. Like um, you know, like Jason, you know, you're asking about this weekend, kind of similar, the whole weekend was raining, so you know, we got one day uh in. But If, you know, our neighbors were out barbecuing, drinking, doing, you know, lawn games, uh, you know, even though we're 36, people still play beer pong. If that stuff was going on and I wasn't participating, it, it wouldn't even be the drinking that was the issue. It's the not participating. It's being that guy or feeling like that person in the corner that everyone is noticing not participating. Although no one notices you're not drinking, you notice you're not drinking. And that's what I have the biggest issue with. Um, And, you know, that that is a big trigger for me. It's it's I think that's one of my few triggers is being left out um, and not part of it. Ego is a big one, too. You know, you mentioned before uh, ego and that's another trigger for me. So,
2: yeah, the uh, going back to the anxiety, that was something that stopped me from seeking help in the first place. I didn't want to be that person that was left out. You know, I didn't want to be the guy that couldn't drink at the wedding or couldn't drink at the barbecue. And there was always an a, an event that, that was, was on the horizon that like, I can't, I, I'm not going to curtail my drinking for this. And, and it was just anxiety. Like, and, and so it, it's, it's funny looking at it now that, that, uh, the anxiety kind of manifests itself in a different way but I think being committed to being in recovery it's not so scary because it's I I, I, I'm also enjoying that it's not uh, that I I I don't I'm not left out I you know Chris kind of what you were saying is like we have that fear and then we kind of isolate ourselves we 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 look at the uh the the landscape and say i can't i wish i could be a part of that and we can be a part of that it's just that we we are a part of that without alcohol or substances and it's it's like learning how to walk again to be totally honest with you like it's uh, it's an experience that i haven't gone through in 10 years so like and even before that i was you learned
0: how to walk in 10 years
2: yeah i'm a slow learner Yeah. But you know, it's something that even before that, I was such an, an, an introvert. I you know, and that's where that's where alcohol really helped me. It helped me loosen up and relax and become that social lubricant. And so, it's literally something that I've I've never done. I've never been this outgoing person who wasn't afraid or shy or you know. And so now that I've taken that one tool away, it's this vulnerability that i've never had before and it's a little uncomfortable it's a lot uncomfortable let's be completely honest to put yourself out there and and that anxiety of like are you going to think i'm an idiot and it's like no they don't think you're an idiot because they're a grown adult who's not going to make fun of a 36 year old person for something they said that isn't blatantly obscene like just relax and and
1: and that's why golf was easier i think because you had someone there that made it not in isolation i mean i remember before the round i said hey my buddy and his dad are going to be drinking is that okay with you and you know i've been around it but i've always had someone i think there that wasn't drinking but it is a lot easier when you're with someone that's you know you're part of and that's why you know being in a program of recovery makes it easier because in a lot of these situations You know, you can call on someone to come join you. And Jason, you mentioned before about avoidance, uh, avoiding triggers and if it's, you know, beneficial or if you're missing out on things. And it's funny, you know, when Ben was talking, I was thinking, like, in my life, do I avoid things and am I missing out? And I think it's yes to both. You know, I do avoid certain situations that I do think I would fall into that trap. But I also don't think, and it really all depends on where you're at with your recovery. I I think that you eventually, I don't want to say have to, you can, if you choose to, uh, start to, like Ben said, you know, participate. And you just can do it in a different way. And you can choose to do it in a different way. But it really, that's something you have to look inwardly and say like am i ready for this uh do i need to like ben said call on people during the wedding do i need a plan before i go out do i need this and you know what you could also like they say play the tape right if i you know if i go there and something doesn't go wrong is it really worth the you know month in rehab the year in iop the broken relationships all this so that you don't feel FOMA for a party that really honestly won't be that good.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we didn't come this far to only come this far. Like, absolutely. You know, and just to kind of close out that whole golf, you know, go full circle on it. Yeah. That experience was incredibly helpful. And then a couple of weeks later I played uh, with my brother-in-law and two of his buddies. And in this, you know, this big, uh, Yearly golf tournament kind of thing that we do, and drinking was is always a part of it. And he was, you know, super uh concerned, you know, and and asked, you know, was was it was really hard. I I really just felt genuinely appreciative of, of how concerned he was for me. And I said, listen, no, I'm going to be fine. And I said, you know, you you want to bring some some drinks or whatever? That's totally fine. I'm going to be totally okay. And and, you know, he had a couple, it was totally fine. And the two guys that we played with, they, they brought their own beers and they drank. And the, the funny thing is, is that two or well, two things, one, you know, I couldn't blame, you know, alcohol for, you know, double bogey, double bogey, quadruple bogey, you know, that's, that's still on me as a, I'm still a bad golfer, you know, but I was able to reset my round and not just go down this you know pity party. But the the driving home after the round, I was like, guess what? Nobody asked me why I wasn't drinking. Nobody cared. The one thing, like I was, I had in my head how I was going to talk about how I got because I, you know, we didn't do this last year because of COVID, so I haven't seen these guys in in almost two years, and and you know, we went, out, we were on a bachelor party together a couple of years ago, and. I had it in my head how I was gonna explain that I went to rehab and that I got divorced and this, and nobody cared because it it just doesn't matter to, to people like that. They, they just, they don't, because they don't know me as an alcoholic and an addict, they just know me as Ben. And so they didn't care that I wasn't drinking. And for me, that was just another building block, starting with, you know, having a completely sober, you know, brother to play golf with in eucharist and then having my brother-in-law who you know was still looking out for me it's just building that confidence so that if i get asked to you know to go golf with three other guys and none of them know that i'm in recovery and i'll be i'll be a lot more secure than i was you know before before i played that round with you yeah
0: it's interesting you know two thoughts came to mind for me was you know one only alcoholics and addicts really care about if other people are drinking, you know, I was the kind of guy that was like, Oh my God, they only had one glass of wine or why haven't they finished that beer? You know, that's, that's my one thought. The other thought is that um, I've heard this said before that don't ask other people how much they think of you because you'll be disappointed in their answer. You know, because I, I know I had kind of put this on me for the gym when I started working out, it's like, oh, God, you know, I haven't really worked out before and I'm not going to know what to do and what machines to use and what weights to use and people are going to be staring at me. And my trainer's like, no, they actually only care about themselves. And the same thing goes for you. you. You really experience that in that we have this fear and anxiety that we have to tell our whole story to people. But if we don't drink, it's not really a big deal to them because they don't have that big deal of a problem like we do. You know, they're not thinking about that next drink. And that's a telltale sign of my alcoholism is that I am how to get it, when to get it, where to get it, you know, and, and everything that goes along with it. And, you know, it's, it's just something that people don't, at least in my experience, and sounds like yours too, that people just don't think about it when they're around us. So um, I want to circle back to Chris's comment on uh, medication Um chris can you can you dive into that a little bit more?
1: yeah, um I actually read a book from uh, Judith uh, Orloff. It was called a Guide to Highly Sensitive People or persons um it was it was about a year ago, and then in rehab, I, I don't know if you remember, but we saw a TED talk on anxiety um as well, and they both kind of talk about how anxiety is developed from a young age um to give a brief synopsis it's like if a child goes to the parent says i'm really scared of uh, the monster under the bed or whatever you know the uh, monster in the closet and the parent just goes "Yeah, yeah you're fine don't worry about that or a child comes home and says i'm really uh mommy you look a little upset And, you know, the mom just got in a fight with her husband. And she says, no, everything's fine. Basically, this child is, um, has this intuition, right? And then they're taught at a young age, oh, your intuition's incorrect, right? Exactly. Something's wrong. I see it on your face or it's dark and I'm a little scared. And we're brought up in this way to, you know, Basically, all the elders a lot of times, you know, squash that, right? And eventually that energy has to go somewhere. So it manifests in unhealthy anxiety and we don't know how to deal with it and we don't know how to recognize it. So we, we as people, um, and I'll say we, uh, I don't personally recognize too much with this like deep feared anxiety, but we, we don't know how to handle it, express it, talk about it. So we go to a doctor and say, "Hey, I have anxiety," and the doctor, most doctors that you see about that, will just say, "All right, well here's Xanax or here's whatever fill-in-the-blank uh, medication," without actually diving into how to deal with it, how to express it, how to uh, you know meditate, how to read, how to uh, work out, how to do all these things. So I personally just think that a lot of times, and you know, through rehab, how many people were on medications in rehab because they, you know, quote unquote, hadn't had anxiety and then abused that medication
0: Xanax being a, a big one. one.
1: Exactly. Xanax is a huge one and it's a very dangerous one. And, you know, I, I just, the more I read about it and the more I'm trying to focus on healthier ways to, uh, get in touch with your own emotions or, you know, it's funny when I got a rehab and we went into IOP, one of the biggest fears I had was actually facing feelings and understanding what they were. And when I talked to my therapist, I didn't even know how to express the feelings. So she literally gave me one of those like wheels and it said, you know, like, this is sadness, this is fear, this is happiness, this. And like, I, I felt like such an elementary, you know, schoolboy. like, like, oh, this is how I'm feeling, you know? But that's that's something that as alcoholics and addicts, I feel like we just don't even think about, and we don't know how to express. So, I guess going back to the medication part, like I said, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to tell people they don't need medication because a lot of people do. But I do think that you know anxiety, depression um, is sometimes over medicated, and especially in addicts and alcoholics because they don't have this baseline yet because they have all these substances substances in them. So until they get those substances out and you know, they kind of level out, they don't know where their baseline is. They don't know where their anxiety levels are because that out those drugs and alcohol, they're, they're making their stuff go all out of whack. So that's kind of what I was talking about.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, is that we are not doctors. None of us are, um, However, we are alcoholics and addicts, and for me, it's it's my duty to tell my doctor I have an issue with addiction, and it's my responsibility to do that because, you know, prior to me doing that, I was put on Xanax, and I abused the hell out of it. Now that I'm in recovery, I have told my doctor I am in recovery, I don't want anything addictive, and she's managed me that way, you know? So I think it's up to us.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the two, you just made such great points and you know the medication is definitely an aspect of this that bef- going into it, I did not want to be medicated. I, I had a, I mean, and again, because my, I've literally never done any other type of substance other than, um, alcohol, never smoked weed or any, any of that. I had this tremendous fear of pills. And and so yeah, when I when I stopped drinking that week before I went to rehab, I spoke with my primary and and he literally just gave me a prescription for like 30 kilonopin, And I underused the hell out of him. And when I got to, re- I had, again, be so naive, like people are looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Oh, do you, you didn't even know what you had. And I'm like, uh, you're, you're right. I didn't, you know? And, and so it's, I think that's where it, you know, yes, seek out medical help, but you got to seek out the right medical help. And it wasn't until I got to rehab and I met with a psychiatrist and I, like you said, Jason, I was totally honest with him and i told him about my hesitation towards uh, medication and he was like and he explained it to me he was like look it's not it doesn't have to be something where you are relying upon it for the rest of your life he's he, it was so simple he was like you have a lot of heavy lifting to do why are you trying to do it all yourself and for me that was such a huge like eye opening thing and and th- they prescribed me a, a long term uh Antide- uh, antidepressant, anxiety medication. I-, I got out and ended up having a physical uh, allergic reaction to that. To work with my primary to put me on something else, which I've since then lowered the dosage of, because I the heavy lifting. There is so much stuff to go through when you're really trying to sort through the baggage of of your addicted life or my addicted life, and and it literally is. I just don't have that, that anxiety anymore. It doesn't exist in me the way that it used to, where everything was an issue. Like going to the dentist was an issue. Like I, I wouldn't do these things because I was so terrified of what, of, of what could, what could happen. And, and so, yeah, it was just such a I you know, I think it's so important to, to, be open to every option. And Chris, like you said, just you know, work with the professionals. And see if, you, if you're trying to do this and if you if you've accepted and surrendered, like we've talked about in other episodes, if you haven't listened to them, go check them out. You know they that there is a lot of work that needs to be done. And so just keep asking for help and it just gets easier. Cause you're going to eventually talk to the right people and there are enough good people out there that want to help you and, and or that want to help me and get you on the right path to, to being a sober and healthy individual. And Chris, like you were talking about dealing with those things that we didn't really have a choice. We might not have had a choice in, you know, that's, that's something that like, older generations swept certain things under the rug and we learned from that. That's a,
1: that's a whole nother
2: episode. Yeah. (laughs) That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode, but, but it's so, so now it's like, okay, how do we deal with that? And being responsible, being honest and, and asking for help is is really what's helping. Oh,
0: well, you know, that, that asking for help is, is huge. I was actually in a meeting earlier today where that was the topic. And I was talking about how I used to be so afraid to ask other people for help. And because Mm -hmm. one, what if they wanted to give it to me? Did that mean that I was weak? Did that mean that I needed help? Or two, I was afraid to ask for help because what if they didn't want to give it to me? Then I was this piece of shit that was not worthy of help. Right. And, you know, that, that's one of my, Biggest fears when it when it comes to uh, being in the program of recovery is is asking for help and and I've been working on this and and it's it's been a journey I'd say um, but it's it's definitely a fear of mine however rational or irrational it it really is you know what what other kind of fears do you guys come across in your recovery
1: I feel like I should say you know, the, the the one that most people say is death. Um, I think when I left rehab, it was facing feelings. Like, I, I don't think I ever actually felt feelings before. You know, like, you get out and you just, you might just unexpectedly cry or something. Or you see, like, that Facebook video of the you know, the military guy come home and you're like, why am I crying?
0: So Not going to lie. That was me today.
1: Yeah, exactly. I saw, actually, I was just telling Jason, I saw the friends reunion and friends was such a big part of my life back in the day. And at the end of it, I was just like crying over friends. And my wife's like, what are you doing? (laughs) But, uh, I think my current fears, you know, this is a tough topic. It's, I think, I, number one, I would say two. One is that I will actually get it this time and that I will love my life. And I don't know why that's a mm-hmm. fear. You know, maybe I feel like I'm not deserving or something, but deep-rooted. I, I was talking about this the other day with my therapist, and or my sponsor, sorry. And, you know, he said it's pretty common, but you know it's all the crap you've done in the past, and then two, I think another fear would be not even letting myself down, but letting the people around me that I care about down, you know that i that I disappoint them again, so I you know and i and I really am doing this for me right now, but that is definitely a current fear of mine
2: yeah yeah the the fear of letting people down is it's pretty big. I don't, I I react to it slightly differently where that it's, it's, it literally makes up my work ethic that I'm just like, I'm terrified to let people down. So I'm going to bust my ass to make sure that I don't like that's the, that's the one thing that I I can do to kind of alleviate that fear. But my biggest fear, I, I don't really suffer from the, the feeling feelings thing. Cause I've always been kind of an emotive person and I don't mind, never really minded crying. You know, the, you know, I, I love it. I love a good cry at a, at a, at a Disney movie. You know, I'm, I'm, I still get choked up in the, the hockey movie miracle towards the end. I, I'm, I'm, I'm what was just a movie you watched the other I'm, day I'm,
1: I'm, with I'm a,
2: your kids. Oh, um, oh, oh, high school music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. I didn't, I didn't cry
0: at high school. Musical. I didn't
2: cry during high school. <laughs> I did not cry during High School Musical, but I'm. You know what? Seeing seeing Zach Efron come this far is one, two, or three. But (laughs) Uh, it was all three. It was. It was a marathon. But the biggest fear that I have now is, what if I'm fraudulent? What? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea if I'm doing this right. No idea. I'm literally checking my motives trying to do the next right thing and 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 i have no idea if i'm doing it right and and yeah and i've i've heard that chris is put in the chat that we, we none of us know if we're doing it right and i've heard in a billion meetings like what if i get what if i'm a phony and and it's one of the things my sponsor talks about and like this guy is one of the hardest working guys I've ever come across in recovery. He's got a daily podcast. Like, this, like he sponsors a ton of guys. like And he, and that's a fear for him. So for me, it's like, oh, my God. If he feels like that, at first it was like, oh, jeez, I, I, I don't know. Like, what if I'm fraudulent? What if people find me out? And then I realized, wait, it's, if he's feeling like that and I can see his body of work, then I can just relate to that feeling and say, okay, that's maybe how I'm thinking people perceive me, but not actually how people are perceiving me. And it's a it's it is just such a big fear, though. And, and it, it's and the, and the other fear that I you know, that you touched on Christmas death. and And I was so afraid to die. Not I was never really afraid to die from drinking because, you know, it was it was going to be a slow death. I was just afraid of dying because I just always felt like I wasn't fulfilling my potential. I just wasn't doing it. Like I knew I was capable of a lot and to see myself just keep going back to the bottle was so disappointing. And it was just like, what is, what legacy will you have left behind? And not in an egotistical way, but like what kind of impact will I've made on my daughters or my friends and and now I'm just not afraid to die because it's not and it's not in a irresponsible way. It's that I've tried to live every single day since I've gotten this opportunity to make the very most of it and try to be the very best person that I could be and recognize that I'm going to screw up sometimes. But as long as I try to do right and and come back and, and not make that same mistake again, that. I'm living a more fulfilling life than I ever could have imagined. And I don't know how it's possible. I don't know why it's happening. But I also don't know that I really don't need the, the answers to those questions. I just need to keep checking my motives and doing the next it's right thing. It's interesting
0: you say that, Ben, because when I was out there and I was in the middle of my addiction, I wasn't necessarily afraid of dying because I was very apathetic to it. I was afraid of living because the life that I was living was so God, I, I can't even put a, a word on it right now. It, it just wasn't what I'm living right now. And I didn't want to live that way anymore. I, I didn't want to go on with that anymore. And, and my fear was continuing the way that I was continuing for God knows how many more years, you know, and and you both touched on this, you know, I wrote this down, I, I we have this fear of success and this fear of failure simultaneously,
1: mm-hmm. yep. you know,
0: and, and that is such an addict mind, you know? Yes, I got the job. Oh, I'm going to be terrible at it. Like, damn, damn if you do, damned if you don't. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Dope. It's, it's just this, you know, it, it feels like you're being ripped apart. You know, on, on one side, you're yeah. going to succeed, but on the other, you're going to fail. I remember back in 2015, I, I got this new job as a, as a consultant and I was traveling around the country and, you know, truly it was the Olympic team of, of consultants uh, for, for the industry I was working in. And I remember I was sitting in a conference in Las Vegas and I was just so obsessed with how did I get here? I don't belong here. These people are my idols. I literally have re- read their books. What am I doing here? And someone came up to me and said you were hired for a reason. You're meant to be here. And that didn't really alleviate my fear at the moment because I was so caught up in it. But as I kept thinking about it, you know, I I then thought to myself, "Well, how am I going to keep up with it?" okay, I got through the door, but now how am I going to continue it, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's hopefully that's something that you look at, you take now in sobriety and and look back and go, you know what? I deserve to be there. What they were, they, they were right in their, in their praise of me. And, And again, trying to limit ego, but, and for me, that's happened a couple of times where I've just said, you know what? I, I, I kind of do deserve this, not because, because now I'm actually working for it. You know, I, I didn't deserve a lot that when I, when I was really just focusing on myself and being super selfish, but I think it's important that we take, you know, things, we don't take things for granted because, you know, we are the, the three of you gentlemen and are or an unbelievable inspiration to me. What what you guys are capable of, and and I don't look at it as a competition. Like, well, if they got it, if they can do that, then I've got to do this. It's like I look at it and go, you no. Know, if, if they can, if they can f- fulfill their potential, or at least work to fulfill their potential, then I can work to try to fulfill mine. And it's it's just one of those things where when you when you have such a, a strong network like like we have, and it's such a, a such a kinship its something that it doesn't you, you don't appreciate until moments like this where, where we get to talk and and really go wow we're we're actually doing this podcast and we're you know we're actually helping
1: ourselves if nobody else and it's just been a beautiful thing yeah i mean that's a very good point i mean we literally got out of rehab we started a podcast. I mean, don't quote me on these numbers, but we're in like 10 countries. And it was just us BSing, you know, one day saying, let's start yeah. a podcast. And we literally have some people. And I'm sure some people, you know, roll their eyes and think it's terrible. But for us, it helps us. Yeah. And we also do have some people that it helps. And that's really all we wanted. And, you know, I when you were talking, Ben, I think the one thing I just keep going back to is... How to, well, two things. One, I think anxiety, and I'll say sadness, not depression. I think depression can be debilitating in certain aspects, but like mm-hmm. sadness, anxiety, and fear, although they have negative connotations, they can also be used as tools if you recognize them. And that's what I'm yeah. really working on is recognizing when, you know, just like recognizing when a triggers coming up, you recognize when these emotions are coming up and how to use them properly. Yeah. And if we could do that, you know, it'll help in our recovery process.
0: Yeah, it's that, it's that dealing with the emotion as opposed to running away from it into a bottle, into a bag. And, and that's the hardest part, you know, Chris, back to your point of feeling feelings again. You know, they say the best part about sobriety is feeling feelings again. The worst part about sobriety is feeling feelings again. Yeah, you know, but I think that feeling feelings (laughs) is is a sign that I'm alive. You know, and that I'm here and I'm doing things and I'm up to stuff. Well, before we close up, we just want to recognize our producer Matrix, whose birthday is tomorrow. So happy birthday, bro. We uh, have a great day. And uh, great topic tonight, guys. I think that um, this yeah. was a, a little bit of a therapy session for me. I, I feel a lot better after it than I did coming into it. So I appreciate that. Ditto. Same. And as always, tonight's episode is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.